Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Monday, July 10th, 2023, the Feast of St. Andrew Wooters. Actually, his feast day was yesterday, but I really like his story, so I wanted to share it with you. He was a Dutch Catholic priest. He was actually one of the 19 martyrs of Gorkum in 1572. He was canonized by Pope Pius IX in 1867, which was surprising to many people because St. Andrew Wooters was well known to live a horrifically scandalous life as a womanizer, and he even fathered many children, not just one, but many children. And so people were thinking, this guy, whew. He, in fact, he was so bad. He was so bad that his superiors had forced him to relinquish any actions to the priesthood. He could no longer act as a priest. And so he had to live his life as a lay brother, even though he was an ordained priest. But then the Dutch revolt happened. And the, and the Dutch were revolting against the Spanish being led by the Calvinist or the French Huguenots. And they were coming in and they were attacking and killing Catholic priests. And so he refused to renounce the Catholic faith. And so he captured these Huguenots, these Calvinists, went through and he captured many priests and religious. Among, amongst them are Dominicans. Franciscans, Augustinians, pre-monasterians, which are Norbertines, and Father Andrew Wooters was one of the people there. And as the brothers and the priests were being hung one by one, they looked at Father Andrew Wooters and they asked him to deny the faith. Specifically, they asked him to deny two things. They said, deny papal supremacy and deny the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And he refused. He said, an adulterer, I always was. A heretic, I never was. And they hung him, and he became a martyr. And so he was later canonized along with the other 19 martyrs there. So praise be to God, a wonderful example of faith that no matter what happens, we have a chance of salvation because we need to die well. So we should always be praying that we have a holy death because No matter what time you arrive at the vineyard, our Lord, by his mercy and grace, is willing to grant you that same pay as the the worker who came early versus the worker who came late. You may still enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So let's pray to St. Andrew Wooters today and ask for his intercession to be able to receive that grace of conversion and of being able to hold true to the true faith, whole and entire. St. Andrew Wooters pray for us and the martyrs of Gorkum pray for us. So happy Monday to you. Today we are uh, celebrating after the good weekend. We're still celebrating the month dedicated to the most precious blood of Jesus. So I hope that you have been meditating upon that this month. And I hope you had a blessed weekend. I actually, me and my family yesterday, last night, went to go see uh, Sound of Freedom. So we went to go see that last night. And my uh, my mom and my sisters, they, they teared up quite a bit during the movie. In fact, I was listening, and uh, throughout the theater, I could hear, 
because it was a uh, it was pretty emotional. It's a pretty emotional movie, and I, I cannot recommend it enough. It is uh, definitely worth a watch. Um, one of the best movies. If this movie was uh, a Hollywood film, it would win awards. I guarantee it because it's not only a good film; it's also uh, well made. It also has a good message, but it's well made. It's absolutely stunning. The child acting. Whew, usually, I really rip on child actors, but the the two main child actors in this movie, ten out of ten. 10 out of 10. Very, very good. Very impressed with those kids. But joining us right now is Tito Edwards. Good morning to you, Tito. Good morning, Adrian. Yeah, I love that story about uh, St. Ruders. What an incredible story. Interesting twist at the end, but it was a good death. It also contrasts so much with with some of the people that are leading us now in in the church of, of, of what they're doing. And uh, yes, I did watch the movie with my wife Friday you afternoon. Did. Yes, we okay. did. And we what did the you bullet. think? We, it was very good. And I have to say, yes, the, ch- the child actors were incredible. And so you had said that you were like, mm, I don't think my wife can handle it. And so what? How did she do? Did she, was she, it okay? She figured that okay, they're not going to show this actual scene. Right. So the, the problem with that 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 pro life film that we saw, it was a dark. Uh, dark hallway, and then you could hear a baby cry, and that broke her, broke us. Uh, with this one, there is no moment like that. We, at the very end, when that when that uh, gorilla leader was about to, well, we don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, so but. that I'm so glad they stopped before anything yeah. else, and then uh, and then a heroic moment after that. So the so the I recommend two thumbs it. up from your oh, wife. Yeah, my wife liked it. Yes. Okay. If you're if you have a sensitive wife or, or a friend that that is a little bit. Uh, uh, wavering, rest assured, it, it's not. Uh, it's not a difficult movie to watch. Okay, that's yes. good. That's good. I didn't think so, but it's good to get that a uh, uh, that thumbs up from someone who was kind of worried about that. So that's good to know. Um, uh, Fifteen past the hour, we're going to be talking about speaking of sensitive topics. Yeah, a surrogate mother says that she that the homosexuals that hired her that rented her womb pressured her to get an abortion. Yikes. So we're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, do you know who Kelly Clarkson is? I think you may have heard her name before. She says that the divorce that she, that she just had from Brandon Blackstock made their kids question a definition of love. We're going to talk about that at 30 past the hour. And in the next hour, we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus as our salvation. And as always, we have our fear and trembling game show. And let me just tell you, you could be a winner this week, so make sure that you're ready to call in in the next hour. So they don't want to miss not one moment of the show today. It's a lot going on, and we're going to have a great time. So let's begin with prayer to the most precious blood of Jesus, as is our custom. We're going to be praying for your intentions. Whatever it is that you have going on in your life, I know it's a always difficult. we got a lot of things going on. It feels like there's never enough time to catch up on everything. We're praying for your intentions for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. We pray for anyone who is suffering um, and all those who are involved in the child trafficking ring for the kids, that they be saved and that their souls be saved, and for those who are involved, that they repent and and believe in the gospel. And we pray for these things. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. O my God, I beg of thee, in union with the Immaculate Heart of Mary, through the merits of the most precious blood offered to thee in every sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, to grant that this day one sinner may be converted, one mortal sin be averted, one soul in doubt be converted to truth, one soul about to die in sin receive the grace of repentance and a happy death, 
and the deliverance of that soul into purgatory and in purgatory, which is nearest heaven. I wish by this offering to console the heart of Jesus in agony for souls lost through the teaching of error against the true church of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. May thy blood, O Lord, be my salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Monday, July 10th, Anno Domini 2023, and these are your headlines. Catholic News Agency is reporting Pope Francis said on Sunday that he will create 21 new cardinals, including the Vatican's recently appointed doctrinal chief, Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez, at a consistory on September 30th. Catholic News Agency is reporting the family of a man fatally shot on the campus of the Catholic University of America have disputed police statements that he was known to the gunman and that was, there was no threat to the wider community, while police say the matter is still under investigation. Catholic News Agency is reporting the Biden administration announced Friday that it will be sending possibly hundreds of thousands of highly controversial cluster bombs to aid in Ukraine's counteroffensive against Russia. The bombs, which instantaneously dropped dozens to hundreds of explosives over a large area, are banned by 123 countries, including the Holy See. Catholic World News is reporting Cardinal Pietro Perelin, the Holy See's Secretary of State, spoke by telephone with Andrei Yermak the head of the Office of the President of the Ukraine, over peace efforts. And finally, Catholic Culture and the Associated Press are reporting the United Methodist Church lost 20% of U.S. churches over LGBT advocacy. Those are your headlines. May God bless you all. Now, the Gospel of the Day it comes from Matthew chapter 9. It's a story of the, uh, the rich man or the ruler who came to our Lord and said, Hey, my daughter is dying. And can you come and save her? Now, it's interesting because our Lord then gets up and he goes to see her. But on his way is whenever we see what happens with the woman who is hemorrhaging, who touches the hem of her his cloak and is healed. He then shows up to go see the young girl. And whenever he does, by the time he gets there, she has died. And everyone is freaking out and they're very upset. They're saying, our Lord, if you had come sooner, they, she would have not have died. And yet our Lord tells her that she is not dead, but asleep. And, and people mock our Lord about it. They laugh at him. And what does our Lord do? He sends the multitude out the door and he tells them and he takes her hand and she rose up. And then he tells her to get her some food. And I think that's very, very interesting. So many things can be learned from this passage, as we learn from Cornelius Alapidae and St. Thomas Aquinas commented extensively on this passage. We'll start with verse 18 here. He says, while he thus spoke to them, it chanced that one of the rulers came and knelt before him and said, Lord, my daughter is this moment dead. Come now and lay thy hand on her and she will live. Now, this is interesting because you can contrast this with the centurion because here the ruler, according to Cornelius Alapidae, is a Jewish ruler. He is a Jewish ruler. And in fact, the, he actually names him. I think he gives his name uh, Jairus and it's very interesting to contrast that with the centurion, who is a Gentile, who is a non-Jew. See, the centurion came to our Lord and recognized these are both people who have charge over other people. So you have a ruler, a Jewish ruler, and a Roman centurion. They both are lords over others. And the centurion comes to our Lord and tells him, Lord, you can just say the word. And my servant shall be healed. Whereas the Jewish ruler comes to our Lord and says, come now and lay thy hands on her 
and she will live. Who had the greater faith? It was the Roman centurion, the Gentile. But what else can we learn by this? That yet our Lord also is willing to work with even a little faith. With even a little faith, our Lord is willing to work. It is greater to have much faith, but it is enough. It's sufficient to have some faith. So then in verse 19, he says, So Jesus rose up and went after him, and so did his disciples. Now, this is interesting as well because it seems so is that we should imitate our Lord. Cornelius Lapide points out that he was probably sitting down uh, teaching as he did normally. And so to say that he rose up and went after him shows that he drops everything and goes to help someone. And that Christians should do likewise. That we too, no matter what we are about, when someone is in need of our help, when someone is in legitimate need of our help, we should go and help. Now it's interesting because it is on this path in which we see in verse 20, and now a woman for who for 12 years had been troubled with an issue of blood came up behind him and touched the hem of his cloak. Now, this shows great faith as well. This whole passage here is about showing faith and various degrees of faith. Because here we see the beginning of a teaching on relics. Because what does this woman do? She does not touch our Lord himself. She does not ask that our Lord bless her. Instead, she just reaches out and touches the hem of his cloak, the outer edge of his cloak. And she said to herself in verse 21, if I can even touch the hem of his cloak, I shall be healed. Now, this is a important understanding of the, of the teaching on relics because we look at our relics and we say, okay, how can this have power? Well, we look forward into when St. Peter, when his shadow passed over someone, there was healings. And so we know that those things that are associated with the saints, that those things that are associated with our Lord have the power of healing, not out of merit of some like supernatural or some um, superstitional is what I meant to say, some superstition of this thing, having being a charm or something like that. But no, it's because it's connected with the holiness and with the prayer of those who it's referred to, those who it's connected with. And so when we touch the hem of the garment of our Lord, when we touch the relics, when we pray before the relics, we are connected with the holiness, the merit, and the treasury of the church. So let's keep that in mind today. Let's have great faith, and let's recognize, just like our Lord said, that the child is not dead but is asleep, that we not laugh at our Lord. Because remember, our Lord is not the God of the dead, but he is God over the living. We'll be right back with more right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. 
G.K. Chesterton says, you might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the encyclopedia, is meant for everybody and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www.chesterton.org. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. You know, there are a lot of news out there that's very concerning. But despite the concerning news, we know Christ is King and our Lord is going to win in the end. Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph and the reign of Mary will be over the world. So let's pray for that when we hear such bad news in the stories today. But this is very, very important. This story that I'm about to say is very, very important because we're seeing the very beginnings, the inklings of something that's going to lead to utter and complete disaster. And something that we have to keep and we have to fight against. And we have to fight against it legislatively. We have to fight against it culturally. And we have to fight against this in our friends and family, meaning we have to show it in our culture and show it in our conversation. This is something that should be a conversation that we have over the dinner table. And this has to happen now because this is only going to start rising up. This is only going to start ramping up. It's already fairly prevalent and it's only going to get more and more popular. And that is the topic of surrogacy. Now, surrogacy is very bad. And I've been told by friends of mine who are very young, and they told me that when they were 20 years old, they were asked by a couple to surrogate their kid. And they offered, they was like, you're a very smart young lady. You seem very athletic. You have good genes. Um, would you like to be our surrogate? We'll pay you, I forgot how much it was, but it was more than six figures. It was over $100,000. Imagine what that's like to to someone who is uh, 20 years old in college, who uh, takes on some debt, and someone offers them well over $100,000 and says, hey, if you, would you be our surrogate? We'll pay you the probably four years of income for you, five years of income for you. Uh, people at that age going to college is probably making around $20,000 a year, if they're making anything at all, <laughs> if they're even going to working while they're in college. So, yeah, that's a huge, significant amount of money. That's a big dose of money. So it's very, very tempting for people. Now, my friend uh, declined, and so I'm very happy that that happened. But this is very interesting because this is happening more and more. And this story tells you the reality of the situation here. Because we don't hear about the reality of the situation most times. Instead, we only hear people say, oh, I love my surrogacy. But we never hear from the mother. We only hear from the people who purchased the child. So let me show you the story. Brittany Pearson, who was a 37-year-old mother of four in Sacramento, California, recently shared her experience. Now, I highly recommend checking out the entirety of the article in LifeSite News because I'm only going to be able to tell you some bullet points of the kind of general outline of what happened here. 
But I highly recommend going to LifeSite News and reading the entirety of the story and maybe even watching the interview that she did because she does a whole interview about what her experience was like. Now, Brittany Pearson said that she was uh, she had two homosexual men who were pressuring her to abort the baby that she carried. Pearson received a breast cancer diagnosis and delivered the child prematurely due to the diagnosis. The men insisted on abortion and demanded that no life-saving treatment for the baby if born alive. Very interesting. So Pearson was diagnosed with cancer at approximately 24 weeks of gestation. Initially, the doctors confirmed that it was safe to continue the pregnancy despite the cancer, but the cancer's severity kept on increasing and would require treatment that could, in fact, harm the baby. The doctor suggested termination or premature delivery to facilitate cancer treatment. Now, this is an interesting point. This is a very interesting point that many people overlook, that the doctors would suggest one of two things, termination or premature delivery. Now, notice this. Why is that the case? Our medical technology today is such that there is no reason to have an abortion. Even in the chances where there's the life of the mother is threatened, even in those situations, it is still a better option to deliver the child. Because when you're going to have an abortion, you're going to be delivering the child anyway. You're just either going to deliver a living baby or a dead baby. It's not like when you kill the baby in the womb, the baby just evaporates and disappears. It's just a dead baby inside your body. And so then you have to get rid of it out of your body. You have to expulse it from your body. And so what is that called? That's called giving birth. You're just giving birth to a dead baby. And so if you just have a premature delivery instead of killing it first, there's a high likelihood with our technology today that the baby will be fine. The baby will survive, will be taken care of, and will be able to be adopted by somebody. Because the amount of people who are in desiring to adopt babies, infants, is humongous. When people talk about the adoption agency, and this kind of a side note, the adoption crisis, and yeah, there is adoption crisis because there's a lot of older kids in the adoption and the in orphanages that nobody adopts, and that's very, very sad, and I feel for those children who are involved in those situations. However, when it comes to newborns, there are lines of people desiring to adopt newborns, so that is a very important thing that is, fails to be brought up in the topic of abortion. Now, the men became intrusive, these homosexuals, these two men who are wanting to have a child whenever they are in a disordered relationship. And remember, this is a key note. Nobody has a right to a child. Nobody has a right to a child. The men became intrusive and threatened lawsuits when they learned of the diagnosis. Legal fights ensued regarding the men's rights to deny treatment for Pearson's illness. The men disregarded Pearson's well-being and focused solely on their baby. Their baby. It's impossible for it to be their baby. It could only be one of their babies because only one of them could, be, could contribute to the creation of that baby. The baby's delivery and demands... A MRI, MRI revealed that a metastasized cancer and chemotherapy became ineffective. The men insisted on not delivering the baby before 38 weeks, citing false claims about potential disabilities. 
multiple families expressed interest in adopting the child, but the men refused any medical intervention. The men prioritized obtaining the baby's remains over his potential adoption. Aftermath in the Pearson's reflection, uh, Pearson's gave birth prematurely and the baby did not survive. Details about the baby's treatment at the hospital and whether he was born alive remain unconfirmed. Monthly payments from the men ceased after the baby's death and Pearson lost contact with them. Despite the negative experience, Pearson defends surrogacy as a valuable tool but criticizes the actions of these men. Jennifer Lal, president of the Center for Bioethics and Culture, described Pearson's case as an example of the harm and problems associated with surrogacy and the lack of legal protection for the baby in the prioritization of the intended parent's decision over the surrogate mother's well-being. So that these stories, although not widely publicized, demonstrates the negative aspects of surrogacy, which contradict the idealized narrative portrayed by the surrogacy industry. Now, this is very, very interesting. Because there's a problem here. The problem here is, like I said, nobody has a right to a child. God's children are not for sale. God's children are not for sale. That was a tagline for the movie Sound of Freedom, where they're talking about this child trafficking. And what is surrogacy but child trafficking? These are not the parents. You're purchasing a child. You are purchasing a child that does not belong to you. And you sign a contract with a woman and said, hey, you are going to be inseminated. And what does that turn a woman into? Women are constantly, the feminist movement is constantly talking about, hey, don't commoditize women. Hey, don't objectify women. Hey, this is going to turn us into the handmaid's tale where women are just going to be impregnated and be delivering babies all the time. And yet, what does the left end up doing? They're accusing the right of doing that. They accuse Catholics and Christians of wanting that. The irony is so thick on this. This is incredible. I'm surprised not that many politicians have come out against this since the beginning, even now. It's just I don't know who's who's advocating against it, but I can't hear of anyone that I'm aware of that that I follow that uh, is saying is saying anything against this. But yeah, excellent point. The Handmaid Tale, and it's all the liberals. Shapiro, uh, not Shapiro, but uh, the, those guys on the left that migrated to the right, and those as well, have been doing that the whole time. And so this is very, very bad. And we have to start pushing. We have to start pushing for legislation against this. This is child trafficking. This is slavery. This is the, you're purchasing a woman's body. You're literally purchasing a woman's body. And people will say, well, uh, it's her right to choose. Do we just let people choose whatever? Do we just, are we going to legalize prostitution next? This is why you cannot be a libertarian. Because some things are just bad and should not be allowed for society. And where does this lead? Where is the logical conclusion to this? The logical conclusion to this is going to be the end of natural births. They're going to start moving further and further down the road until we have artificial wombs and we're trying to create we're just going to mix dna in petri dishes stick them in an artificial wound and grow them in a lab how can that be good for your child how can that be good for humanity what god has created is good is perfect and you know i kind of think about this sometimes i was thinking about this the other day when i was i was talking to to my sister and she was telling me how whenever she was in high school 
they were showing her, showing them videos about the, the miracle of childbirth and how she was really grossed out by it. And that she was like, this is so gross. This is so bad. Look how painful it is. And she got scared from it. And she was like, this is scary. I don't want to be pregnant. And I was making me think, maybe maybe this whole idea of teaching kids about this when they're kids, maybe that's not something we should be doing. Because you're just scaring people from what is natural. Even, even Ecclesiastes, the Bible talks about how a woman will experience pain in childbirth. But then she'll forget her pain when she sees the joy of her child. And so what good does it do to terrify people about what's to come? Instead, wait until it's, the situation arises and then teach them. And then teach them about how to endure it, how to go through it, how to go through the situation instead of terrifying children. And so then it scars them, it traumatizes them, and now they're afraid of having kids. Now, obviously, my sister's not like that anymore, um, but she was like, yeah, I was really freaked out. Like, I went to the bathroom, and I was, like, going to throw up. And I mean, yeah, that's the situation here. They want, to, they want to create a situation where the most unnatural thing is natural, where the most good things are bad. And so having a natural birth, having a natural situation where a mother and father conceive and bear their children— that is bad. That is not good. That's perverse. You, know, you have more than 1.5 kids? Wow. You're crazy. Don't you have a TV? This is absurd. It's an absurd situation, and it has to be rejected, and we have to create laws to forbid this from happening. We cannot allow surrogacy of any kind. We don't need protection for surrogates. We need to ban surrogacy. Be on the lookout for false rights. We're going to talk about false rights later today, but be on the lookout for false rights because people are going to rise up and they're going to say, hey, we just need to put protections for surrogate mothers. No, we need to ban the commodification of women's wombs. We'll be right back talking about divorce in just about a second. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologists. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Monday, July 10th, 2023, in the year of our Lord, and these are your headlines for this morning. 
Vatican News is reporting following his Sunday Angelus address in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis appealed for dialogue in the Holy Land and for peace and reconciliation between Israelis and Palestinians. Catholic News Agency is reporting a Blessed Carla Acutis Eucharistic Miracle exhibit goes to Hollywood. Much as Akuta's faith grew during his brief life, the exhibition has caught fire and will be traveling to more than 30 other parishes in the Archdiocese of L.A. through next spring, fueled by growing interest in Akuta's life at a time when the National Eucharistic Revival is in full swing. Catholic World News and National Catholic Register are reporting Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez, who was appointed by Pope Francis last week to head the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, was once investigated by that office because of questions about his theological views. Cardinal Gerhard Mueller, the former prefect of what was then known as the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, confirmed that in 2009 his office had a file on the future archbishop, who at the time was a candidate to become the rector of the Pontifical Catholic University of Argentina. Catholic World News and Catholic News Agency reporting a painting by Fra Angelico, Crucifixion, has been sold at an auction to an anonymous bidder for $6.4 million, the top price ever paid for a work by the 15th century Dominican artist. The July 6th sale at Christie's was the most highly anticipated auction of the year. The painting had only been identified as a work of Fra Angelico in 1996. And finally, this is one of my favorite times of the year, 1440 is reporting the Festival of San Fermin. More than a dozen silly and, and people have been injured in the opening days of Northern Spain's iconic Running of the Bulls. Though no participants have been gored or killed as of this morning, the event is held each morning during the week-long Festival of San Fermin in the city of Pamplona. The origins of the festival date back to the Middle Ages, though its modern form was made famous by author Ernest Hemingway's description in The Sun Also Rises. Other parts of this celebration include fireworks, bullfighting, and parades. While between 50 and 100 injuries are reported by dumb people each year from the bull runs, deaths are far less common. 15 people have been killed during the event since 1910 from the horns of bulls and one from being trapped in a crowd pileup. The festival attracted 1.7 silly million visitors last year following two years of cancellations due to the pandemic. I am Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. And thank you, Tito, for <laughs> keeping welcome. us up to date. The, uh, you know, I was, uh, would you ever do a bull run? Yes, but I'm, uh, after the surgery to my meniscus, I, I, I don't have confidence enough to run. <laughs> no, I don't think I'd ever do that. I, I am not one to put myself in, uh, in situations like that. Skydiving? On purpose. Nope. I know. No, thanks. Um, bull running, no thanks. Anything like that, I'm like, why? Why do it? It doesn't make sense. I'm not a, I'm not a adrenaline junkie by any stretch of the imagination. Well, the the thing is, they start in in staggered stages. You can run ahead once they start, but some of them wait until the bulls are released. I planned on running and sprinting way far ahead and crossing the finish line and wait, before I could even see the bulls coming after me, and so I, I could brag about it. That's what that no. was my idea. I'm out. No, thank you. Um, but I guess you're right. At the end of the day, you don't have to be faster than the bull. You just got to be faster than the people behind you. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So make sure to bring Yikes. some uh, overweight friends with you when you go running. Yikes. Uh, I saw this tweet uh, just a second ago that I wanted to bring up uh, before we get into the story. Uh, Father Ripperger on the current crisis. Uh, there's not a single doctrine of the Catholic Church, not a single moral practice of the church, not a single liturgical practice of the church. That isn't under full-blown attack right now, but this should not affect our perspective at all. I think that's great. I think it's a wonderful 
wonderful analysis. Yeah, I mean, it's true. We are every single thing in the church is under attack um, from within, from without. And that shouldn't change the way we look at these things. Instead, it should make us more steadfast and say, you know what? I'm going to uh, plant my feet in the ground and I refuse to change what the church has always taught. I will always remain faithful to what the church has always taught. Now, speaking of what the church has always taught, the church has always taught that divorce is impossible. It's not possible. Why? You may ask. Well, because our Lord said so. He said that the Jews are like, well, you know, Moses allowed divorce. So what's up with that? And Jesus says, then the beginning, it was not so. For a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So this forbids divorce. He said that Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But now that the second coming, well, now that our Lord has come to fulfill the law, there is no more divorce. Divorce is impossible. And again, we see why. Kelly Clarkson says divorce from Brandon Blackstone made their kids question the definition of love. Kelly Clarkson says her family structure has left her kids with questions about what different kinds of love look like. This is reported by People Magazine. She said, appearing on the Pod Crushed podcast in an episode released Wednesday, the talk show host and mom of two admitted that her kids have shared questions and concerns about love. She said, when you go through a divorce, especially with young kids, the definition of love comes up quite a bit, she told the host. Clarkson admitted the son, that son Remington, Remy, Alexander, seven, and daughter River Rose at nine, have asked, so you don't love daddy anymore? The singer, who shares the two kids with ex-husband Brandon Blackstock, whom she divorced in 2020 after nearly seven years of marriage, said she assures her kids that she does love their father. Quote, I love that daddy gave me you two. We just don't like each other like we did. It's just different now, end quote. She recalled telling them. Clarkson said the hard part comes when you can see it on their face. They question, can your love change for me? That hits hard. That hits hard because this is a story I've heard a million times. A million times I've heard whenever you hear stories of divorce. Whenever you hear adult children who have gone through divorce. I've heard this story over and over again. I'd be curious what your experience is. If you would share that with me, I'd be very grateful because I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are on this story. But this is the thing. Your parents are who you are. You are your parents. We know ourselves in relation to those around us. Our identity comes from our relationships, ultimately with God but then primarily with our family, with our parents. Our parents are those who show us who we are. And so for a child to hear that you don't love their other parents, that's like you telling them, you don't love me because I am my mother and I am my father. I am myself, but I am the experiences. I am raised by my parents. I am a product of the love between my father and mother. And so if that love is broken up, if that love is destroyed, what does that mean about me? Whenever you see me, what do you see? 
Did you see my my spouse, your spouse that you don't love anymore? That's what it says to the kids. That's what it tells them. So the greatest gift, if you really love your kids, you will work out your marriage. You make it work. And if you can, and if you tell your child, we used to love each other, but we just don't love each other anymore. We're not good for each other anymore. We don't like each other anymore. Well, then the kids are going to naturally say, well, you tell me that you love me. And I heard you tell dad that you love him, but now you don't. So will you stop loving me? And that's a perfectly legitimate question to ask. You said, we don't get along anymore. Well, sometimes mommy doesn't get along with me anymore. Sometimes mommy gets mad at me. So is she going to stop loving me? These are the natural questions. These are the natural questions that kids have whenever parents divorce. And it's heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking. I am so grateful. The two greatest gifts my parents ever gave me was one, they stayed together no matter what happens. They've always loved each other. That they always, even at times whenever there's arguments, they've always loved each other. I have never once in my life thought that my parents are going to get a divorce. And two, that my mother stayed home and took care of us. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad worked multiple jobs to provide for us. Best job in the world. That is the greatest gift that I could have ever received. And these stories that we see are tragic, are heartbreaking. And we see them over and over and over again, which is why we have to find proper role models. This celebrity culture is horrific. This celebrity culture is so bad because it tries to ingrain in us, it tries to normalize divorce to the point where we see divorce and we're like, oh, well, that's a good idea. Or people are like, oh, he did what? Oh, yeah, run from him. It's in very discouraging to see people promote divorce. The second there is disagreement, the immediate answer among your friends is divorce. And I told this to my friends who were getting married and many friends of mine who I thought that they were with people that I weren't exactly the best for them. I told them, hey, look, I'm going to tell you now about this. But once you're married, I'm 100% behind your marriage. I back your marriage and I will do anything and everything to support your marriage. And I think that's the mentality that we must have. That's the only way you have true friendship. More on this when we come back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. You know what are the two most common questions after attending a non-Catholic church service? Answer, how is the preaching and how is the worship? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, evaluation of worship? That's odd. Who's evaluating worship? Well, here's what really is meant by that. How is the music, the singing, and the audible response of the people? And if that were important, wouldn't that be our Lord's decision anyway? Secondly, Catholic teaching. Worship is fundamentally not tied to music and song, though it can be Supported by music and song, the 2,000-year history of Catholic worship is primarily about the representing of Jesus' unbloody, timeless sacrifice on every Catholic altar. It is that moment when the bread and wine are changed into Jesus' own body and blood. We then participate in that worship by bringing our own sacrifice of self, whether sorrow or praise. And thirdly, my take. The only evaluation that should be considered after a church or a mass is the evaluation of heart and actions. That is, did we grow in obedience to the royal law of love? Help us, Father. 
Hey, Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Now, there are some other stories I want to get into, but I kind of want to touch on celebrity culture a little bit. Uh, but first, Jane asked, what percentage of adults initiate divorce? Then uh, it's most, there's kind of a, a lot of studies on who initiates most divorce, and it kind of fluctuates in number, but the average seems to be about 80% of divorces are initiated by the women. And that's 80%. Now, all the studies say that women initiate more divorces than men, but usually it fluctuates between about 70 and like 93%. And it seems like the average number I've been seeing is about 80% of divorces are initiated by women. That's a very, very interesting, interesting statistic. I think it has a lot to do with the modern feminist movement. And this is one of the reasons why... Well, not just a modern feminist movement, but the feminist movement as a whole. And I think it should be uh, smashed. But I, w- I tweeted on, I want to say it was probably, I think, Saturday. I-, I don't understand the obsession with celebrities. And I got a number of people who made um, some interesting comments about it. I wanted to read some of them and maybe get uh, Tito's comments on what he thinks about this. Uh, Jeff Kassman said, there is a natural inclination to God and his saints. Celebrity worship is the result of rejecting them. Uh, David O. Gray says celebrities, including celebrity politicians, are the gods in the post-Christian and post-truth society. And Joey Mignot says probably because you don't worship at the altar of self, uh, saying that that's why I don't understand um, celebrity culture. Uh, Dean Oak says, I never got it either, of course, growing up not having a television in the home and didn't see a movie till I was at least a preteen. I can't quite remember when or what my first movie was. Rick Barrett says the soul is designed to worship and we feel the need to. In a perfect society, we would all be oriented toward God. But secular society created the celebrity to distract and pull the masses away from God. Ecclesia, Ecclesia Militans says, a combination of a love for a sleight of hand and an inferiority complex. Uh, many people, here's a couple other ones. Weak people. Oh, thank goodness someone else thinks that. That's crazy. Yesterday, my little border town city actually had a Taylor Swift day. I'm like, what? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so there you go. I think that's very interesting. And so before I get Tito's comments, one thing that I wanted to say is I completely agree with a number of these comments saying that this is a result of us desiring to worship God and have the cultists of the saints. And whenever we do not have the cultists of the saints, we do not have true heroes, we create false heroes. And this comes in the view of celebrities. I was watching a, a video of uh, Michael Jackson over the weekend and they brought up this woman onto the stage and she just like loses her mind. She falls to the floor, clinging to his feet, kissing his feet. And when they try to pull her away, she freaks out and starts flailing around. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a very perverted response to a celebrity. The proper response to almighty God is to fall to your knees, is to kiss the relics of the saints is to venerate 
the Holy Cross. And instead, what do we do? We venerate celebrities. We kiss the feet of celebrities. This is a disgusting, perverted view of humanity. We kiss the hands of the priest. And people don't do this anymore because they say that's bad. We shouldn't kiss the hands of the priest. We kiss the hands of the priest, not out of reverence toward the individual priest, but instead out of reverence to the office of the priesthood. We reverence the office of the priesthood and that the fact that his hands are consecrated by holy oils in order to consecrate the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to do the miracle of transubstantiation, that his hands hold the blessed sacrament. And we kiss his hands for that reason. Why do we kiss the feet of celebrities? Why do we cling to them? Why do we flail? It's disgusting and it's perverted and it's wrong. Uh, Tito, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's... I think it's a reflection of our culture, and sadly, it shows that our culture is pretty hollow inside when we reverence and uh, glorify and praise celebrities, especially movie actors and, and television. Well, there's no longer TV anyways. And, uh, and that's really sad to, to see how our culture, you can see the breakdown of the family. You know, so back in the 80s, yes, the celebrity culture was big then, but not as it is today, and families were mostly intact, and, and Hollywood was known. It used to be reported, Elizabeth Taylor on her fifth husband, you know, back in the day, but uh, now they don't even mention that anymore. Oh, so-and-so is getting pregnant with uh, his, uh, his fifth girlfriend, 12, chi- 12 children and, and two divorces. And, uh, and, and, and people want to emulate that. They see that, and they don't understand that... They have money, and regular people don't, and that, and that's besides the point. The point is it's wrong to begin with. And so we're not – the educational system, I read somewhere online that we always thought education was values neutral, and apparently not because now we have this rot in the colleges and it's streaming down to the high schools and elementary schools where teachers are upset that parents are telling them to stop grooming their kids so they can go to uh, drag shows. So apparently part of it was education, and, and that mostly falls on the parents' side. Uh, less, to a lesser degree, it's the schools. And so we need to attack education. We need to take back our institutions. We need to bring back shame to parents that fail to bring up their children properly. I've seen some instances in the past that they, uh, parents sued a family for their ch- for the for their children, one of them being a bully, bullying their kid and killing him, or driving, killing him because that kid was driven to suicide. This mostly ha- happens with uh, adolescent girls, but nonetheless, uh, education is is a significant factor that I see here in all of this, and oh. it's pretty sad. I, I don't understand why can't we look up to to famous uh, writers or com- or classical composers or philosophers. Or, uh, well, uh, you know, you know, theologians. I, I don't want I don't want my kids looking up to famous composers or to famous artists uh, at all. And none of them, because even a lot of the, the composers, they were degenerates. Yeah. Even a lot of the writers are degenerates. I don't want my child looking up to uh, what's his name? The um, the man uh, who wrote the Ernest, not Ernest Hemingway. What's his name? The guy who wrote Importance of Being Earnest. Um, oh, I know who you're talking I'm about. forgetting his name now, yeah. but he was a homosexual. He yep. was during the, the decadent culture. A lot of the writers were not good people. And what I want is my kids to look up to the saints. That's who I want my kids to look up to. And, and I used to say that I would buy a, um, 
a TV and a DVD player, and I just buy the DVDs that I want my kids to watch, and that's what they'll watch. But now I'm kind of thinking, uh, maybe we just won't even have a TV at all. I'll yeah. just throw out the TV because celebrity culture is horrific. We'll have music on CDs or maybe even um, or things like that. I like, but at the end of the day, they won't. I don't want them exposed to celebrity culture at all because the celebrities should be the saints. The celebrities should be people of virtue and people who do not just have skill in certain things. Oh, that person is a good dancer. Oh, that person's a good singer. Oh, that person is good at X, Y, or Z. But no, instead, they should be looking up to their parents, to their, their fathers. They should be thinking whenever their father comes home, my hero, this man is my hero, and I want him, he is the one I want to be like. Instead, we have a culture where instead of their parents being the heroes, Instead of the saints being the heroes, instead of their family being their heroes, their heroes are fictional characters or they're celebrities, which are the same thing. There's fictional characters. There are people who are showing they're playing, well, Mm -hmm. not just playing fictional characters, but they're portraying fictional people when they're on stage. This is is perverted. This is wrong. Instead, why don't you tell them the story of King St. Ferdinand? Why don't you tell them the story of King St. Louis IX? Why don't you tell them about the holy marriages? about Blessed Kenori Mora? What about all these great saints? What about St. Vincent Ferrer traveling the world? He flew around, who performed more miracles than any other saint. What about all these great saints? They don't have to be boring. You don't have to say, oh, these, it's telling the stories of saints. Why can't people have fun? Why can't things be interesting? You don't think it's interesting? A King St. Ferdinand going into battle, being surrounded on every side by Muslims and him and five other men standing to his ground and actually winning the battle with only five men. And do you think that's not you think that's not cool? You think that's exciting? You don't think kids would like that? What about the great stories of the female saints, the queens, the princesses who went and they converted their husbands and ended up converting nations? Is that not interesting? Is that not cool? Men need to step up. I think they've dropped the ball on this. They need to get rid of their man caves and turn those man caves into studies. Fill your library with great books, and that's the entertainment center for your children. You men need to step up. Well, I think it's uh, the mothers especially as well because they need to. We need. It's the whole culture. It's everything. Everything needs to change because... This is a very bad situation, and the only way that we ever get better, the only way things get fixed, is by able to to raise the kids, the next generation, in the right way. It's the only way. And the only way to do that is by telling them to emulate the saints. We have to have them emulate the saints. And we would reject this feminist and this horrific, emasculated mentality between both the men and the women. It's destroying families. It's destroying families with Every single direction, whether it be contraception, whether it be divorce, whether it be gay marriage, whether it be all sorts of things, it all begins in the family. It all has to start from there. And we have to destroy every aspect of it that's going to pervert children. And I think that's really the theme today, is the perversion of children. That God's children are not for sale. God's children are not for sale. You can't sell them to Disney. You can't sell them to pedophiles. You can't sell them to gay men wanting to adopt your children. You can't sell them. They're not for sale. I won't sell them. It's not. We can't do it. It's not allowed. We fought a civil war to prevent the selling and buying of humans. So this is disgusting. It, the liberals are bringing this back into fashion. Supreme Court judge, the, the, I can't remember her name, the newest one in the Supreme Court came out for segregation this morning. 
Yeah, well, this is... Tony Jackson. Yeah, this is a not good situation, and I think that's the motto we have to hold today. The motto that we should hold is, God's children are not for sale. I think that's the motto. I think that the motto that they have in the sound of freedom, God's children are not for sale, can be applied across the board from sex trafficking of children to the, these, these pedophiles wanting to purchase child pornography to the people trying to sell our kids to Disney, sell our kids to celebrities, sell our kids to, to the uh, school system, sell our kids to the government, sell our kids all over the place. So all we're trying to do is commodify our kids and child actors, wanting our kids to be celebrities, wanting our kids to be involved in this, that, and the other, they want them to be famous athletes, wanting them to be all sorts of things. Our God's children are not for sale. The purpose of our children is for to make them great saints. Our, the only person that can own my kids is our Lord Jesus Christ and his heavenly mother. That's it. That's the only person. The only person that has possession over my children will be our Lord and our lady because they know what's right for them. They know what's right for them. And the only thing that matters is their salvation. That's it. Nothing else matters. We have to promote this. We have to push this idea. And we have to push, push the people who promote this idea. And that would be the saints. That would be the great heroes of the saints. Because if the kids imitate them, they will know how to be saints. And no matter what circumstance of life they find themselves, kings, queens, peasants, warriors, monks, priests, nuns, married people, you can be a saint. No matter what circumstance you are in, that's the only thing that matters, is being a saint. And if, if you don't become a saint, then who cares about everything else? We'll be right back. We're going to talk about the precious blood of Jesus when we come back. We'll be right back. Advent joy lights the night air, for kindly St. Nicholas was making his way there. But wait. There's a pause in his plan. Santa's priority should be that of every man. Wise men seek the Savior first, knowing only Jesus can quench our heart's greatest thirst. So come home to Mass. Each week and every season, for love is born tonight. Our hope for heaven, the reason. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 AD, 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed in a church down the street. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help 
I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Shining the light of truth on the path of salvation. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. If you want the truth, well, you're tuned to the right station. You're listening to KSHJ, 1430 AM, your Catholic radio station for Houston, Texas. The truth lives here. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you. You know, there are always many concerning things that are going on in the news. But the good news is, despite of it all, Despite all the bad things in the world, there is an answer. There is an answer to all the bad things in the world. That answer, the most precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to go through this article with you and kind of make some comments as we go along with Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira. He was a Brazilian Catholic theologian and philosopher who taught at the some universities there in, in Brazil. And... He wrote extensively, spoke extensively, and he and here's one of the articles on the most precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I confess that out of the feast honoring our Lord Jesus Christ, none speak to me and impresses me more than the feast of the most precious blood. Of course, such impressions are personal and depend upon the way grace touches each person. But with me, it is this way. This feast impresses me, and I have a great personal inclination to the devotion of the most precious blood. The reasons follow. Now, before I get into his reasons, I think it's interesting because how many of us even knew that July was dedicated to the most precious blood? I certainly have heard of it before, but I never really gave it any thought. It just seemed to come and go and never really stuck with me that this month we should be meditating on the precious blood. And so the fact that he says here that this was one of his favorite feasts that kind of is very interesting to me. It's like, okay, that's very interesting. Why is that the case? Well, he gives his reasons. He says, first, let us consider well that blood, what blood is and what bloodshed signifies for us to understand the meaning of the effusion of the precious blood of Christ. We all know that the blood is an important part of our body and essential element of our person. Therefore, we owe the same adoration to the blood of Christ that we owe to Christ himself. Now, this is an important note, which is also key to when we talk about the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, that your blood, your heart, the limbs, whenever we, whenever we venerate these objects of the body, we don't venerate them opposed to the whole person. We're not venerating them apart from the person, but instead as part of the person, as a symbol of the whole person, but in a particular way, those particular aspects. Just as whenever you greet a lady and you kiss her hand, you're not saying, oh, I'm greeting your hand, or oh, I'm venerating your hand. It's like, no, I'm venerating the person. I'm greeting the whole person. I'm saying hello to the whole person. And that's a very important thing to note. Now he goes on, he says, blood flows inside our body, which is its natural condition in place. Thus, every effusion of blood, everything that makes the blood issue from our body has a catastrophic character. There are illnesses that announce themselves by a loss of blood. 
A sign of pleurisy, for example, is when a person spits up blood. It signifies a disaster inside the body and is an alarm bell for us to pay attention because the internal system is not in good condition. Bloodshed speaks to us of violence, of crime. It is impossible to speak of bloodshed without thinking of the blood of Abel, murdered by his brother Cain. Abel's blood, according to scripture, rose to heaven, calling for vengeance. Now, before we go further, one thing of note here. He says, it is impossible to speak of bloodshed without thinking of the blood of Abel, murdered by his brother Cain. Now tell me, is it impossible to speak of it without thinking of that? Do you think about Abel and Cain whenever you think of bloodshed? This is a mentality, a worldview that we have lost, where whenever we see things in the world, no matter what it is, we think of them in a Catholic context. We see them biblically and Catholicly. We have a Catholic sense about things, that every single action in the world, we see through the lens of the faith, whether it be something, a breaking news story, whether it be a conversation we're having at the dinner table. Every single thing should draw our minds back to Christ. If that's not the case, then perhaps we should read Holy Scripture more. Perhaps we should learn the faith more and be immersed in it and make actions to draw our minds to those things, to make our conversation, our speech elevated. How do we do this? Well, we have to practice it. It doesn't come naturally because normally it would come naturally because it was just part of our our Catholic upbringing as part of the way we were raised, but that's not the case anymore. So now we have to work at it. So how do you work at it? Whenever you're having a conversation, think to yourself, how can I draw this conversation and elevate it to heavenly things? Just keep that in mind, no matter what it is you're talking about, how can you draw that conversation to heavenly things? Now he goes on blood spilling on the ground, gushing forth from the body by a profound delaceration of the being gives us the idea of something unjust and iniquitous, representing a great perturbation of order, clamoring to God for redress. Now, this is very important because this is one of the sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Remember, whenever Cain killed Abel and our Lord comes to him, he says, the blood of your brother cried out to me. This is what blood does, the shedding of blood unjustly. This is what it does. Now, he says, when we think of the infinitely precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that blood generated in the womb of Our Lady, the blood of David, a blood hypostatically united to the second divine person, we should consider that his blood symbolized all the dignity of his body, more or less like the juice of the grape represented when it is best in it. That blood which fell to the ground by a series of abominable acts of violence, the flagellation, the crowning of thorns, the cross borne on his shoulders, the crucifixion and torments of every kind speaks of human wickedness and is a manifestation of the mystery of iniquity. It is so great a manifestation of iniquity that it acts as a reminder for us to understand all that decadent human nature, above all when directed by the devil, is capable of doing. Man will go to the extreme of evil, not back down from anything. Now, this is interesting to note as well. This idea that 
these evil actions are directed by the devil. Now, it's very important to note that man, when he does evil, he does evil by his own will. No one's forcing him to do evil. When a man does evil, he does so by his own will. He willfully does it. He is still responsible. But we must also keep in mind that nearly every evil action has the devil as an influence, whispering in the ear, moving toward temptation. And that is something to keep in mind, something to keep noted, because the devil is real. And he is trying to tempt people to evil. And will you succumb to that? And remember, when you commit evil, when you do bad things, it it predisposes you to do more bad things. This is why we have the sacrament of confession. Because if you do bad things, if you do ugly things, if you do untrue things, it predisposes you to do more and to do worse. So we have to gear ourselves to protect ourselves so that we do not fall into those things. He goes on, therefore, in the face of evil, we must have every possible suspicion. We must exercise the greatest vigilance. That is what the precept watch and pray means. Evil is capable of everything, of the worst infamies. We should employ against every evil, every way possible that is in accordance with the law of God to deter it. From the perspective, every nap in the face of evil, every stupid optimism, and every postponement of the fight becomes a crime. This is very interesting. He says, basically saying here, do not be optimistic in the face of evil. Do not stand in front of the face of evil and be like, ha, I would never fall into that temptation. Don't even place yourself in a near occasion of sin. Do not nap in the face of evil. Do not sleep whenever there is crime afoot. Instead, we have to gear ourselves, protect ourselves, protect our loved ones. He says, this is a very unpleasant thought for our natural tendency to be agreeable and sweet and an enemy of division. Remember, our Lord said he came not to bring peace, but the sword. We have a tendency in our modern culture. In fact, it's, it's articulated when people say things like, we should never talk about religion and politics at the dinner table. Because we have a tendency. We are predisposed to be agreeable, sweet, and an enemy of division. But if we are going to imitate our Lord, we have to bring a sword and not peace. He says, but we should meditate on the precious blood and see to what extreme the revolution is willing to go. It does not recede before anything. It is evident that we are already before a manifestation of the revolution and the worst one of them all. When we consider the one that went against the man, God considering the blood of our Lord shed, it is important to note the mercy of God who desired it to flow with an unheard of abundance. Every drop of blood in the body of our Lord was shed to show that he gave everything moved by his intense desire to save us. He could have achieved that redemption with just one drop of blood, but he shed all the blood he had to the point that with the spear of Longinus, the last drops of blood shed were mixed with water. He desired nothing from his blood should be spared to redeem us. The abundance of blood and of suffering, the full surrender of himself reminds us of these words of our Lord. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
He says here, now then, on this feast of the precious blood, these words of the gospel take a special significance. That would be July 1st, but I apply this to the entire month of July. Something that we should meditate upon every single day. He says, he not only gave his life for us, but he wanted to suffer every physical and moral suffering. Every drop of blood that fell down his body was a drop of life that led to death. He wanted to pass through all those small deaths to show to what point he was our friend. Now, what of us? Will we suffer or will we flee from suffering and say, I seek not suffering. I do not want to sacrifice. I do not want to suffer. I want to avoid suffering at any cost. Or will we imitate our Lord? He says from the outpouring comes on one hand, the trust we should have in his mercy. Since he did so much for us, enveloping us in his blood and and presenting us to the eternal father to ask forgiveness for our sins, we should also plead for forgiveness. On the other hand, it shows us how horrible the eternal destiny of the reprobate is. To prevent us from this fate, he went to the extreme point of suffering. We should see the terribleness of that evil that he wanted us to avoid. So then considering the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should measure the bottomless depths of hell. And that's an important thing to know, something that I never would have thought about. That if our Lord was willing to shed every single drop of blood and suffer so much, to weep blood, to be crucified, to be asphyxiated, to be humiliated, how horrible must hell be that he was willing to endure that? To save us from it. How horrible must hell be for someone to do that? I know whenever I'd fall down and my dad would dive to make sure that my head wouldn't hit the ground and his hand would smash against the floor. He was willing to endure that suffering, that small suffering to protect me. But what about how horrible does the suffering have to be to endure that? To endure that pain? It shows a lot. Now, the last thing I want to point out here is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The holy sacrifice of the Mass, the Holy Eucharist, a, that representation of the sacrifice at Calvary, that when you have the commingling of the wine and the water, it's a symbol of the blood and water which gush forth from the heart of Christ. And that when the priest says the words of consecration, It is no longer wine. It is no longer bread, but the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So at Holy Mass this month, every time you're at Holy Mass and you're looking at the Holy Eucharist, meditate today and every day this month upon our Lord Jesus Christ, upon his great sacrifice. And that's going to do it. We're going to go into our fear and trembling game show that number to call 877-757-9424-877-757-9424 that's number to call to be part of the game show we're giving away prizes this week and you could be the winner 877-757-9424 we'll be right back with fear and trembling call now we take the first caller 
this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no commentary needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. I was searching for something that seemed to be just one step away. Perfect soulmate, the ideal job, that big adventure. And just when I thought I found what I was missing, I realized that I was never really fulfilled. Then I discovered what I was searching for was really faith in God and belonging to a church. You can find what you've been searching for too. Come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call to be part of the game show. You could be the winner. That number to call eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. You may be asking, what am I playing? What's going on here? Well, it's very simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions here, and the trick is that I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm going to ask Tito the questions, which means that your job is to tell me whether or not Tito is correct or whether or not he is incorrect. That means that even if you just guess the answer, you have a 50-50 chance of getting the question correct. A very, very easy game, I would say. And I'm looking at the questions today, and I have to say, I think that you are going to get the answers 100% correct. This is all easy question Monday. So that number to call 877-757-9424. One more time, 877-757-9424. Every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? This week's prize is the CDT prize pack. Thank you very much. And what is a CDT prize pack? A Contains a coffee mug with the signatures of Adrian, myself, and Taylor, the new guy, as well as a book. Well, there you go. There you go. We'll be giving away that at the end of the week. So if you want a coffee a replica of the coffee cup of Divine Providence, then you should call in this week. We'll also be giving away uh, some books published um, by the by um, our friend Alan Smith. Those his books on Fulton Sheen. That number, 877 757 nine four two four that's the number and we always take the first caller so if you're the first caller you could be the winner 
So we always love to have that. And if you'd like, you can always go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and get all of the information about the show. It's all listed there. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get connected with us. Uh, we'd love to have you. So Matt, what's that website again? grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Uh, joining us right now is Charles. Good morning to you, Charles. Charles, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. There you go, there you go. Uh, Charles, uh, where are you calling from? Calling from Tallahassee, Florida. From Tallahassee, Florida. Praise be to God. We don't get too many Florida callers, but I love to hear our Florida callers call in. It's a, it's always a good time. Where are you off to this morning? I actually just pulled up to work right here. I was uh just listening to the radio, and I heard something about God and answering questions, and Maybe winning something, so I felt like today might be my lucky day. Oh, there you go. There <laughs> you go. It might be. It might be. I'm looking at the questions here, and I'm thinking you are probably, you have a high chance of success is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking a high chance of success. Now, uh, Charles, uh, what is uh, what is the best thing to do in Tallahassee? If I come visit Tallahassee, what should I, what's the first thing I should do? Uh... I mean, I went to Florida State back in 2015, so I'd say if you if you came to Tallahassee during football season, go get your ticket to Dope Campbell Stadium. <laughs> there you go. The <laughs> there you go. All right. I'll keep that in mind for my uh, next time I end up in in Florida. I'll have to take a trip to Tallahassee and maybe watch a football game there. But there you go. Are you So you're familiar with the game. This game's very simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions. I'm going to ask Tito the questions, and it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or wrong. So that means... Basically, you have a 50-50 chance of winning, of getting each question right. Are you ready to play? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. Question number one, Tito. All right. The question on the board. What is the church's dedication for the month of December? The dedication is to Our Lady, the Virgin Mary, when she gives birth. All right. Very yes. interesting. Very interesting. Pretty certain. Okay. Well, that it could be a tricky question. That yes. could be a tricky question. That is All a tricky right, question. Charles. Have 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what is the church's dedication for the month of December? Meaning, what is the church wanting people to think about and to meditate upon during the month of December? Tito says, it's the virgin birth. What say you, Charles, from Tallahassee, Florida? Is he right or is he wrong? I say, according to yours, he's probably right. They celebrate Christ's birth, but according to me, Christ was born on September third, BC. September third. That's interesting. Yes. Nine eleven, not September third, nine eleven. But I say he's true. You're gonna say it's true. Are you sure you want to go with he's true? You sure you want to go with that? I mean, like I said, I believe that Jesus was born September eleventh. 3 BC. All right. That's what? Well, Some he, okay. he said he's going to go with true then. That is not correct. It's not correct. The correct answer is that the church is dedicated the month of December to the Holy Child or the infant Jesus. So during the month of December, it's a meditation on the infant Jesus. Baby Jesus. And that's the thing to meditate upon. Uh, well, it's a kind of a tricky question because uh, the virgin birth. The infant Jesus, 
uh, very, very similar. I can yes. see why people might get confused. Um, but no, me. I believe uh, the, the church's uh, dedication of the, the December 25th as the marking of the birth of Christ is probably the most accurate. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you have two more chances, Charles. So I'm thinking the next two questions are really, really easy. So I'm thinking you're going to get this one right. So are you ready for question number two? Go ahead. Let's do it. Question number two. Yes. The unreasonable self-esteem is one of the seven capital sins. One of the seven. What is that capital sin? Ha. Unreasonable self-esteem. That means you have too much of it and you're full of pride. You're full of pride. Yes. That's it. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. All right. Yeah, I'm going with pride. You're going with pride. Yes, sir. The, The chief of the... Seven daily sins. Yes, it okay. is, Chief. All right, Charles, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, the unreasonable self-esteem is one of the seven capital sins. What is that capital sin called? What say you, Charles? Tito says it's pride. Is he right or is he wrong, Charles? Isaiah's right. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. There you go. He says yes. That is, in you fact, got correct. It, Charles. That is right. Yeah, the sin of pride is one of the worst sins you could possibly commit. And, you know, like you said, we, God resisted the proud, which is why we should always imitate the Blessed Virgin Mary. And whenever in her Magnificat, she says that he cast down the prideful from the throne and he lifts up the lowly. So we love it. So pride is the vice, humility is the heavenly virtue contrary to it. So very good, Charles. You're doing great. That's one question in the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. Are you ready for question number three? Yes, sir. All right. I'm looking at this question here, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking you're going to get this one. This one seems to be pretty easy. Oh, thank you. All right. (laughs) Tito? I'm ready. The question on the board. Uh Uh-huh. How does a crucifix differ from a cross. A crucifix and a cross, they're very similar, but the one distinguishing factor is the crucifix has the body of Jesus on it, and the okay. cross does not. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that, that would be the difference, yeah. So you're saying a cross is just the two wooden beams crossed over each other. Yep. And a crucifix, they just they add, add the body of our Lord on it. Yes, blessed okay. be his name. Okay. All right, Charles. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, how does a crucifix differ from a cross? Tito seems to think that a crucifix is a cross that has the body of our Lord on it. What say you, Charles from Tallahassee? Is he right or is he wrong? What say you, Charles from Tallahassee, Florida? I'm going to go and say he's right. He's going to say he's right. That is, in fact, correct, Charles. Way to go. That is a two for three. That's a pretty good score, I would say. And, yeah, do you know what the the body of our Lord, what's the technical uh, name that they reference it as? You know what that answer is? Just as a bonus, a little bit of a bonus. Can you repeat the question again? Do you know what the, the technical name for the body of our Lord on the cross is called? The typical name... For the body of our Lord cross, one more time. And what is the technical name of the body of our Lord that's put on the cross? What is that called? Uh, 
That's okay if you don't know. It was just a bonus question. The Ganthib, it's actually called the corpus, which is literally just Latin for body, um, but that's called corpus, oh. and which is why uh, in Texas we have Corpus Christi, Texas, the body of Christ, Texas. And so, yeah, they have the corpus yeah. on the cross, uh, which is just another word to say, the body of Christ on the cross. Uh, but way to go, uh, Charles. You did great. Your name is in the coffee cup of Divine Providence twice this week. So that means on Friday, we draw out the names. And if you win, if we draw your name, you will be sent the prize. So make sure you stay on hold. We're going to put you on hold, and uh, we're going to get your contact information so that way we can reach out to you if we draw your name out on Friday. Uh, but God bless you, Charles, and God love you, and have a great day at work. Yes, sir. appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere. Stay on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side of Catholic Drive Time. If you can join us in the after show, we would love to have you. How do you get onto our after show, you may ask? Well, it's very simple. You just go to YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, even Twitter, and you can type in Catholic Drive Time. You can find us there and join our show, and you can comment down below, and we will interact with you directly. We'd love to get your comments, especially on the topic of divorce. That was a, a big topic for today was was divorce and everything surrounding families, celebrities. I'd be curious to know what your thoughts about celebrities are. I'd love to hear it. Uh, but if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and the Catholic Spirit Radio. Uh, I forgot to mention Catholic Spirit Radio. We're on there in Illinois now. But God bless you. God love you. We'll see you back either tomorrow morning or we'll see you back in the after show. We'd love to have you. And if you want to, you can find all the links on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. That's grnonline.com forward slash CDT. God bless you. God love you. And I will see you soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. For more information, visit salt.net or ourladyofcorpuschristi.org. Today we celebrate Monday of the 14th week in Ordinary Time. This Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is being offered for all those listening in on the Guadalupe Radio Network and all of our online viewers. There's a whiteness in God's mercy Like the whiteness of the sea there's a kindness in His justice Which is more than liberty There is plenty 
that has been shed there is joy to all the members in the sorrow of the head in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen the lord be with you and with your spirit brethren let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to, to Almighty God, God and to you, my brothers, brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. O God, who in the abasement of your Son have raised up a fallen world, fill your faithful with holy joy. For on those you have rescued from slavery to sin, you bestow eternal gladness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. Jacob departed from Beersheba and proceeded to Haran. When he came upon a certain shrine, as the sun had already set, he stopped there for the night. Taking one of the stones of the shrine, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep at that spot. Then he had a dream. A stairway rested on the ground, with its top reaching to the heavens, and God's messengers were going up and down on it. And there was the Lord standing beside him and saying, I, the Lord, am the God of your forefather Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you are lying I will give to you and your descendants. These shall be as plentiful as the dust of the earth, and through them you shall spread out east and west, north and south. In you and your descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. Know that I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. I will never leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he exclaimed, Truly the Lord is in this spot, although I did not know it. In solemn wonder he cried out, How awesome is this shrine! This is nothing else but an abode of God, and that is the gateway to heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up as a memorial stone, 
and poured oil on top of it. He called the site Bethel, whereas the former name of the town had been Luz. Jacob then made this vow. If God remains with me to protect me on this journey I am making and to give me enough bread to eat and clothing to wear and I come back safe to my father's house, the Lord shall be my God. This stone that I have set up as a memorial stone shall be God's abode. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In you, my God, I place my trust. In you, in you my, my God, God, I place my trust. You who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In you, my God, I place my trust. For he will rescue you from the snare of the fowler, from the destroying pestilence. With his pinions he will cover you, and under his wings you shall take refuge. In you, my God, I place my trust. Because he clings to me, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he acknowledges my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in distress. In you, my God, I place my trust. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Our Savior Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life to light through the gospel. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. While Jesus was speaking, an official came forward, knelt down before him, and said, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him, and so did his disciples. A woman suffering hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind him and touched the tassel on his cloak. She said to herself, If only I can touch his cloak, I shall be cured. Jesus turned around and saw her and said, Courage, daughter, your faith has saved you. And from that hour, the woman was cured. When Jesus arrived at the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd who were making a commotion, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. When the crowd was put out, he came and took her by the hand and the little girl arose. And news of this spread throughout all that land. The Gospel of the Lord. For Jacob, it was a place that he named Bethel. What is it for us? What am I talking about? Jacob, we remember on Saturday we heard that he had succeeded in tricking his old blind father into thinking he was his older brother Esau 
And so giving him the blessing that should have gone to Esau. And what followed that was, perhaps understandably, Esau said, you know, as soon as my father dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. So Jacob heard of this, and his mother helped form this plan in which he would get out of town. He would go on a journey to go and stay for a time with her brother back where she had grown up, far away. And so that's where we find him in today's reading, traveling apparently alone, essentially fleeing for his life, making his way to somewhere he's never been before. And this is the background then as he lies down to go to sleep, as we heard with a particular stone that he placed under his head to sleep. And there he has this dream. And in this dream, of course, he sees this stairway leading up to heaven. But he also hears the voice of the Lord speaking to him and taking all, essentially the same promises that he had made to his grandfather Abraham, but now making them apply to him directly. It's sometimes said that God has no grandchildren, right? It's not that we simply hang on to our parents' faith or that our children will simply hang on to our faith, but that there needs to be a direct relationship between God and each person. We need to become not God's grandchildren, but God's children. And here it seems that a direct relationship was connected between the Lord and Jacob. As now he hears this covenant made with him, the promise of the land made to him and his descendants, that all nations of the earth would find blessing through him and his descendants. So it happened to him in that place. We hear that he was awestruck. And he set up this memorial stone to remember because it was a special place for him. It was in this place, Bethel, that he had met the Lord in a special way. Several years ago, Pope Benedict had declared the year of faith. In that year of faith, he encouraged and in fact even offered a special indulgence that year for us to go and visit the place where we were baptized and there to renew our baptismal promises. Because that was a place, different for each one of us, the place we were baptized was a place as special to us as this place was to Jacob. And not only our place of our baptism, but other places where along the way you and I have been when we met God in a special way. Perhaps meditating on scripture, or grappling with a problem, or speaking to him in prayer. And in some particular way, it was in that place that in some way we made a special connection with him. Those places are special. Those places when faith was strengthened and established. We see a different aspect of faith in our gospel reading. Then we have two people. The woman who's been suffering hemorrhages for 12 years. A different gospel writer tells us she had spent all her money going to doctors and they only made her worse. Through her faith, because she believed in Jesus, she had the courage to stretch out her hand and touch him. We could have understood if she had felt like she just had to stay motionless, separate from him. But she believed in him enough that she could actually reach out her hand and touch him. And similarly, the official who came after his daughter had died and asked Jesus to raise him, her from the dead, he similarly believed he had the power to do that. And even when the crowd was making fun of Jesus, he still kept believing. The faith that had been cultivated in them at some previous point motivated them to seek out Jesus in an energetic way and to reach out to him and to ask for something. And we see 
he responded with healing and with life. Is the Lord inviting you to do something that maybe you feel a little uncomfortable doing, like you'd rather hang back, stay still? But is he saying, no, seek me, follow me, reach out to me, touch me, ask me something, request it? Let your faith move you to action. May you seek and ask and knock so the Lord may answer. Brothers and sisters, let us present our petitions to God on behalf of all people. That God may bless Pope Francis and our Bishop Michael. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That he may guide and sustain the work of those who govern the destiny of the world. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That he may give those who suffer temptations the strength to resist them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That he may deliver us from an unexpected death. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That the day that is now beginning may bring us joy and peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, we ask you to hear our prayer and come to the aid of all those for whom we have prayed. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. Praise Him for His grace and favor to His people in distress. Praise Him still the same as ever, slow to chide and swift to bless. Alleluia, Alleluia, glorious in His faithfulness. Father-like He tends and spares us, well our feeble frame He knows. In his hand he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Alleluia, alleluia, widely yet his mercy flows. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. May this oblation dedicated to your name purify us, O Lord, and day by day bring our conduct closer to the life of heaven. 
through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God, through Christ our Lord. In him you have been pleased to renew all things, giving us all a share in his fullness. For though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, and by the blood of his cross brought peace to all creation. Therefore he has been exalted above all things, and to all who obey him has become the source of eternal salvation. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis uns celia terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and we praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you stay, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you stay. Tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But only speak the word, and my soul shall be healed. For those who cannot receive sacramental Holy Communion at this time, we pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. 
I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all, how can I love thee as I ought? And how revere this wondrous gift, so far surpassing hope? or thought sweet sacrament we Let us pray. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that having been replenished by such great gifts, we may gain the prize of salvation and never cease to praise you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks be to God. Immaculate Mary, your praises we sing. You reign now in splendor with Jesus our King. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, Saint Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Howdy from Friendswood. I'm Leah Wynn from Mary Queen Catholic Church. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.